we're back. Imagine that. Hey, Earl. How's it going, eh? Hey, Ryan. Yo. Earl is outside, so if we hear any loud car noises or sirens, it's probably us, not you, if you're in your car. Also, there are birds. Lots and lots of birds. Uh, we're the Mile High Hockey Podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph House, and we are recording on the Friday evening of Memorial Day weekend. I'll, I'm not sure if I'll delay this all the way to Monday before I push it. It'll probably be over the weekend, but Colorado finally graced us with some things to talk about, so we are here with a show for y'all. And right up at the top, we have a, a medium-sized organizational shakeup where Colorado are losing three coaches off their staff. None of them are named Jared. Tim Armony, Armony? Tim Army, Francois Lair, and uh, Dave Farish have all gotten El Boot. Tim Army, of course, has been around for, what was it, six years and in charge of some player development where we saw him working pretty decently with forwards and in charge of the power play, which we saw working pretty decently for the other team. Um... <laughs> PK coach's dream. Francois Allaire, uh, by all uh, informed accounts, had been absent for the last year, so his exit is not surprising at all. Collecting the easiest paycheck in the organization. Pretty much. Uh, Tim Armies was, I think he, his was that he had like a two-year deal with, a, with the, the second year being an option and the Avalanche declined to exercise the option. Dave Farish, we're believing, has another year on his contract, so that is a sacking. Not anymore. He can go work with Randy if he wants to now. <laughs> Adios. Rivederci. Maybe Good he rings, can man. find another team to pick up pucks for. So, um, what's, that needed to happen. Yeah, what's what's more notable? I don't think any of these are particularly notable. I mean, Francois Allaire had, had left the team pretty much when Wa did, I think. Uh, Dave Farish had been unimportant for ages, and uh, Tim Army is the only even slightly notable name here, but you, you had everyone from every community calling for that to happen. You, you didn't have it from our Facebook community or the Denver Post website. You had a complete uproar about the dismissal of Francois Lair. And I'm interested in what, what those people were watching for the past year and a half. I was talking about, it wasn't good goaltending. Yeah, I was talking about Tim Army with that comment. Um, yeah. I, I try to like avoid the post if possible. I'm right. not, not going to hide that. And I have not logged into Facebook for, I don't know, several years. I've, I logged in to say, hey, you should vote for the state question. And then I logged in again to say, hey, they're trying to kill the state question we passed. And that's it. See, if I didn't have to have Facebook for work, I wouldn't, but I do. <laughs> so all day long, I get like, you know, a red little notification that says somebody has commented on Mile High Hockey. So uh, being me, I can't help myself. <laughs> I've got to go look at it. <laughs> Inevitably, it's something I don't really want to uh, entertain seriously. <laughs> but occasionally, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, people are up in arms about uh, Francois Lair leaving and or rather not being welcomed back. I'm like, guys, he has been gone. Uh, look at the save percentages by every single one of our goaltenders last year, and that is not a situation you want to continue. That was not the defense's fault. 
in entirety. <laughs> that is yeah, a lot of goaltenders <laughs> wallowing. Yeah. I mean, that's just a, a lot of bad goaltending and a lot of things not getting fixed about it all and, season long. And it's not like we didn't see coaching, a goaltending coaching, make differences for these goaltenders in the last couple of years. I mean, I, Varley's glove hand comes to mind where he suddenly was holding it, like, at his ear because, yeah. because he had kind of a tendency to let it dip. Um, mm-hmm. But when the, when the dude's not around, you're not going to keep paying him. This isn't difficult. Yeah, this is a guy that was getting flown in from Switzerland, you know, every once in a while and probably just emailing some critiques on video. He's not a very hands-on goal coach and wasn't going to be. So uh, let's get Jared Bednar the opportunity to get his own guy in, you know, some guy who's going to engage with the organization a little more than, you know, once a year during preseason. Right. I mean, I think Frank was a, he was around a little bit more than that. I mean, you know, if, if, you, if you watched Calvin's interviews throughout the season, you know, he mentioned talking with Alaire a lot and working with him somewhat. It just didn't seem to be effective anymore, which is troubling. So yeah. um, it, that, that's almost worse. I'd, I'd almost rather have someone that wasn't around like Kirk Muller uh, and, and be able to blame it on that. But, you know, it seemed like he was actually around kind of, you know, maybe less than he was under Patrick, but, um, you know, he still was actually around and there were, you know, there were technical flaws that Mike's pointed out and things like that, that, you know, they were going uncorrected and that, you know, that might be a sign that the, the guys were just, you know, they were tuning him out because they knew he was gone. I mean, I, you know, Varley said back in August after Patrick left that, that Frank was, was gone too. So, we kind of knew that was that was happening, and you know, it was a lame duck situation. Uh, the weird thing was sort of what happened with Jean-Yan down in in San Antonio, because uh, you know Spencer Martin fell off a cliff, and he didn't seem to be able to help him much at that point either. And and you, know, you just really have to wonder why that happened. So. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, let's I'm start glad. new. Let's start fresh. <laughs> yeah, and it's let's do I mean, something it's completely different this week. That there are a couple guys, or you know, three guys that we've heard that they're looking at. It seemed promising for yeah. the for goaltending coaches, or just yeah. in general for goaltending coach. Because the only name that I heard and remembered hearing was Roly the goalie. <clears throat> um, there was. Rollison and there was Corey Hirsch who worked with the Blues under uh, Corsi. Okay. Uh, and then you've got uh, Varlamov's guy from Europe. Oh, and, that's, and right, that's right. Dude. And you see Parkila from uh, Scott St. Petersburg, and he was he was in the Austrian league for the last year. Yeah, uh, we kind of heard he got canned with like an entire coaching staff from the KHL. Yeah, and got you know thrown out the bathwater. Well, yeah, I mean, before Patrick came, when, when Saka was still around, I mean, Parkila was the, he was the holy grail as far as goalie coaches. That's, you know, we were just like, you know, get rid of Captain Kirk and let's get this guy and bring him over from Finland and, yep. you know, let's have a full-time goalie coach and a good one. I forgot all about <laughs> UC. Um, is it Parkila? Do we know that for sure? Because the single hottest topic behind this guy may come to Colorado is, how do you say it? 
How do you say any Finnish name ever? I was going to say. Do they even know how they pronounce it? If we have a, a Finnish name pronunciation specialist, let's get him in here. I, I think right. the double K might make it Parkila. You know what? We had a girl correct our spelling because I just copied whatever Friedman said, you know, on the report. Yeah. She's like, oh, no, it's spelled this way. <laughs> so uh, I bet she knows how to pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> Her name was like Finnish Girl 06. So, so that checks out. Yeah. Is she my Finnish sister? <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Hey, you've got all kinds of doppelgangers this week. Got uh, people in the MHH comments. <laughs> Earl, Earl 08 is sneaky. <laughs> and that guy's trolling hard. Earl 08? That's oh, hilarious. Man. I know, I never he, saw He about like, gave half our audience a heart attack the other day. What did he say? I, I never saw it. Oh, really? Um, God. Somebody like a new GM. Who was it, though? <laughs> Somebody we did not want to be GM. <laughs> Jim Schoenfeld? <laughs> I don't know. Me? That's true. So, if you're listening, Earl 08, we see you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but we don't to, see what you write. You know, getting back to what Friedman heard about the Avs interviewing goalie coaches, you know, he, he's heard that they've talked to Rollison. Uh, probably Parkia and you know maybe Corey Hirsch is in there too. I mean that that's sort of a faint reading, let's say. But um, you know it's it's something that they've had nine months to work on, obviously, because if Farley knew back in August that that Frank wasn't coming back, that you know that they they should have been working on this for quite a while. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that that's obviously one of the big downfalls this season was the, the play of the goaltender, so Right. Obviously that's something they really should have been focusing on, so Absolutely. Um just as interesting to me as which coaches are not returning is which ones are. Apparently, um it, the Avalanche either need a maneuver or are very pleased with their video coordination services from Brett Heimlich. And Nolan Pratt is gonna make the cut as well. At least for I, now. That was pretty I'm predictable, was it not? I'm a little surprised about Heimlich, but it's just he's a guy you would you, you never would even think about seeing on camera, and you, his effects are so secondary in analyzing what the team's doing that you can't tell if he's doing a good job or not. <laughs> um, so. Nolan Pratt is something. I mean, it's the weirdest thing. It's it's that's who Bednar would have chosen for his defense coach. Can we right. all agree? There's on no that? way he was going anywhere ever. Yeah, I mean, it's like if they had hired Bednar before Pratt and Pratt was available, and then, and could have come in late August last year, it's almost a guarantee he would have. So, um, you know, that, that's that's not a surprise at all. They kept Pratt. Do you think Pratt gets a little more freedom with what he's able to accomplish next year? Do you think he had full freedom this past season to implement his system and instruct players the way he needed to? I don't know. I mean, it's just... I, I mean, I don't think Dave Farish had much of an influence over what was going on at all. Do you think I mean, there's I, any mixed messaging? 
I think it's very yeah, possible yeah, that maybe maybe there's not any official mixed messaging, but maybe like in drills um, when they're they're trying to run some drills or trying to run something about the way that Pratt wants defense to be played and Farish is help-running practice, that maybe he's giving advice that doesn't necessarily jibe with what's in Pratt's head. Do you think there were some uh, older veterans who were perhaps a little more partial to Farish? <laughs> Not saying anybody in particular, but maybe he was really ineffective at hockey last year. So yeah, you've, I mean, you've narrowed obviously... down to the entire team. <laughs> Right. Dave Farish coach in Anaheim in 2007. Let me think. Hmm. That would be for Yeah, I mean, anybody maybe uh, more uh, leans towards an older style of hockey, maybe who identifies with that a little more, maybe somebody who sees himself as a leader of a particular defense. Look, we, we talked about this, remember? And we're not talking about this. No, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying his name. <laughs> <laughs> So dude, anyway, I think we're probably I think mixed in, messaging was possible. I think we're probably in agreement here that this is all uh, good steps in the right direction. Necessary I, I, steps too. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks like they're probably gonna, you know, it, it looks like they have, if not the three guys we've heard, it, it sounds like they're pretty on it as far as searching for a goalie coach candidate. Uh, mm-hmm. What what I am very interested in and have been. Uh, for years, is is who's going to pl- replace Tim Army and help Jared Bednar get guys scoring goals next year? Right. right. Especially on the power play. Mm-hmm. Especially on the power play. And if anyone read the Post article that we don't want to promote at all, um, you know, the, the, the things that Tim Army said, boy, you just... It, it leaves no doubt as to why the power play was ineffective. Um, who's out there? I mean, uh, where are we going to purge that type of coach? Um, I don't know. I mean, that's, it's tough. I mean, uh, you know, like the, uh, the, the coach of the Rochester Americans was fired today, you know, due to some of the purging going on from them, getting the, the AGM from Pittsburgh to take over as GM in, in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a guy that played with Sackick and Swift current and was drafted by the Nordiques and, and played with Sackick on the Nordiques for a couple of years. Um, you know, it, it it's it's tough to say what kind of interest there would be. I mean, that's that's a good nepotistic candidate, but <laughs> which is probably means the yeah. right candidate or the yeah. correct one. His, his name's Dan Lambert. He was, you know, he, he seems like the kind of guy the Abs would look at. Um, you know, he, he coached in Kelowna with the Rockets in the in the WHL for a while. And yeah. it brought them a WHL championship, so he's got some Palmares. But yeah, is that a pretty tough position to, to promote to within the NHL? I mean, you couldn't exactly attack somebody else's coaching staff to give them that promotion, can you? I mean, no. I mean, you know, who's going to go from a team that they're not fired from to the Avs with a lateral move? I mean, <laughs> Hey, uh, it could be a good interim position for half a year. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, that, it, you know, goalie coaches, it's pretty obvious who coaches the goalies, right? So, right. That, that, that's easy. But figuring out who would be a good offensive coach is very difficult. So, um, you know, without telltales from the media, I, 
you know, I, I think we're kind of flying blind here. Yeah, I agree with that. So should we then move upstairs? Sure. Sure. Um, before we move upstairs, we'll, we'll actually move further down onto the ice itself. Uh, congratulations to uh, our newest entry-level contract recipient. Hello to our newest Russian player, the little Russian hockey enclave that Denver is starting to collect. I'm Little Russia. What? Da. <laughs> Talk about all. I don't know what I just agreed to, but I, I did. I don't either. I'm and, I'm, and, I, and I'm stalling because I'm trying to remember whether his first name is Andre or not. I only yes. wrote I only wrote Miranov. You're it's stalling? <laughs> These pans are made of linen, too. Um, so... Andre Moronov, welcome to the entry-level contract zone, and we will see you at training camp. Mm-hmm. Or sooner. Or sooner. There are little development things happening here and there. Doesn't well, seem to be... could see him at dev camp. That might be a thing. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's sooner than that. I mean, word on the street was as soon as the worlds were over, he was going to take care of some visa issues, and he was going to try to move to Denver as soon as possible. So, hmm, okay. Do we even have visa issues with Russia anymore? Is that a thing? <laughs> Uh, I mean, everyone has visas. Uh, uh, yeah, everyone has visa issues. Visas are just terrible in general. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, he from an interview, um, I forget when it was. I think it was probably right at the beginning of Worlds. It, you know, he said he, he wanted to, uh, and this was before he got out of his uh, CSCA contract, Um but as soon as that happened and he signed with the Avs, he, he was going to go through the Worlds and it was important for him to you know, help the team win and all that. Um, but afterwards, he was, you know, he was very excited to get to Denver as soon as possible and start working with the training staff and the coaching staff, if, if there is any. That is the correct public relations line. Thank you, Andre. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we all wanted to hear. But that's a good thing. I mean, you know, I, I I watched, you know, a bunch of the games that he played at the Worlds. I caught um, one. He scored a goal. He did score a goal. Yeah. It was a nice Which is Not common for him. Not a goal scorer, traditionally. But you know more about him than me. Yeah, I mean, you know, what we're getting is... He's basically, a you know, a very defensively oriented defenseman right now. Um, his skating is not, not, not so great. Um, which is probably, probably the first thing the abs are going to want to work with him over the summer is to get him with a skating coach. Um, you know, he looks very strong on his skates. He has balance and whatnot, but, um, quickness, efficiency. Yeah. He's, he's very inefficient. He's got a really choppy stride. Um, you know, it's, it's it's all stuff that we've we've seen Tracy Tutton work with the guys in Dev Camp with and, and you know and improve a lot. So um, that's that was not kind of my impression too. Less technically my impression, but you know just a little bit slow to transition. You know uh, definitely seeing NHL skaters and going oh <laughs> a couple of times. So. <laughs> Well, it's just it, it's the inefficiency kind of makes his first couple steps a little slower than you'd like them to be, right? And nothing that's not correctable either. I mean, yeah. we're still talking a player that's probably like 
better Tootin right now, <laughs> that could probably be quite a bit better with that. You know, yeah. than, uh, and, and again, I think Tootin's probably the right comparison. Strangely enough, somebody mentioned that a couple months ago, and they're right. Fetter-Tutin was okay for a little while this year. Then he got hurt, and then he never came back. Right. He also wasn't 21 years old. Exactly. He he doesn't have upside anymore. He only has downward aging curve. Right. And he's not as dirty as Tutin at all. Um, (laughs) Unless it's an open ice. He's not out there... (laughs) Yeah, he's not out there hooking and, and grabbing guys constantly because he can't keep up with them. So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, but you know, I, I think it, you clear up the skating, and we've seen that the staff, um, especially down in San Antonio, with guys like Sergey Boykov and Anton Lindholm, have been able to take guys that have been you know defensive defensemen, and you know give them a, a little bit more offensive prowess and you know work on their shot work on probably how they think when they're in the offensive zone and stuff like that mm-hmm. so um i mean because in light of that you know a guy you that's think a little, he'll spend some time uh, what's that uh, in light of that i mean you still think he'll spend some time in the hl i don't think he's interested i don't i mean i don't really think he needs to i i I think what they'll probably do is that they'd be fine with carrying him as an eighth defenseman, not playing much while he mm-hmm. continues to develop at the NHL level. Right. Um, just because it just, it really doesn't seem like Miranov was very interested in that. I don't know if he has a, a European clause such that if, you know, if he doesn't make the team, he goes back to the KHL or whatever, but, um, so from what I'm drawing from this conversation and from what I've seen elsewhere is that he's he's like NHL ready, but his skating may not be. So he can join the team and learn the learn the way the team's going to play while he continues to get his feet up to par. Yeah, I mean, you know, if, if I had never seen this guy before and I didn't know anything about his situation, I'd say, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see him in the, the AHL for, you know, 20, 30 games. But... Um, given there's probably not going to be too many guys ahead of him, um, <laughs> not a ton of reason to do that. And yeah, given are, that the defensemen ahead of him are Colorado Avalanche defensemen, yeah, low exactly. bar, low, yeah, exactly. low bar. And and you know they're going to want Nolan Pratt and and Jared Bednar and you know some skills coaches like Foot when he comes down and and you know. <clears throat> um, they're going to want guys like that to, you know, give them sort of a quick tutorial on how to deal with smaller ice. Um, he might take to it really quickly, like Lindholm did, and it's, you know, it's it's just going to be a quick thing. Um, I, I don't think it's going to be a big deal. I, I I think it's probably the right call to keep him in the NHL, not playing much right off the bat. So always excited to get an ELC signed, like. As soon as it's time to make that happen, um, that tells you that there was a priority there, and uh, the team is able to make make it happen with a with a foreign player. It just always happens. Sometimes they want to linger around and stay home for a while, yeah. and I don't want to come be your eighth guy. And blah blah blah. Yeah, you, right. with all the hated. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, with all the, the flack the front office gets, you know, when we get 
kind of a front office win like this, it, it feels good to revel in that, you know, for just a little bit. Uh, this was a front office win. Yeah. It's a minor win, but it's a win. Yeah, we'll take minor. Let's compare it to the rest of the stuff in the front office. So, <laughs> if you have uh, not been on the internet in the last week, which would be make it strange that you're listening to a podcast, but uh, that okay. Um, Elliot Friedman reported earlier in the week that the Toronto Maple Leafs had granted Colorado permission to speak with assistant general manager Kyle Dubas, who was formerly the general manager of the Sioux Greyhounds and who has put together a lot of what Toronto are doing with the Marlies. And today, uh, that's not true anymore. It was true at one time, and now it's not. (laughs) So I'm going to read the story from uh, fanragsports.com because it quotes Friedman on air pretty directly and everyone else seems to like just kind of be using quotes and stuff. So this seems to be taken right off of Sportsnet 960 in Calgary. I'll, I'll use the quotes. I'll just start from there. This is a weird story, began Friedman, and I personally have to agree with that. It is a weird story. There's been a lot of twists and turns here. First of all, I think it's over. That whatever window was there since I reported it, and one of the things I said on Tuesday, what I mentioned it is, I'm not exactly sure when it stands, sometimes when you actually go to air with something or write it, something, it brings even more clarity, and that's the case here. I believe the window is closed. I don't think he'll be going, and I believe that Toronto closed the window. That initially they were willing to let him go, and then they weren't. And so I think that's kind of where it stands here. It's an interesting situation. There was some pushback from Colorado at the beginning in saying that it wasn't accurate and it didn't happen. And I think it's possible that there were people in Colorado who didn't didn't know that it had happened. Excuse me? <laughs> Which is fun. But there was yeah. definitely contact. There was permission given. And for whatever reason, and only Toronto knows, and you got a better chance of getting the nuclear codes than probably this information out of Toronto. But I think Toronto revoked permission, and I don't think he's going. I have thoughts on this. Uh, yes. <laughs> I mean, first of all, it is the weirdest story ever because there's so much if, when, maybe, could I, it have. <laughs> I, I have to stop you right there. First of all is boom because he's not coming. Right. Well, I mean, I think that's the uh, impression that Toronto got initially. There was a big fan reaction to this. Yes. Like, hey, this is like the golden boy who's showing all of you what to do. <laughs> and uh, this cannot happen for any reason. I don't care if you fell out of favor with your front office. Get rid of those guys. So, I mean, it was loud. It I mean, was that loud. instant reaction out of Toronto was really, really, really loud. It was like... I think that had an effect. It was like... Who is it that always... I'm not an NFL follower, but there is some team that always bungles it hilariously at the draft. And I'm, you're going to have to help me here if you know. Well, Chicago this year. <laughs> well, but there's some team that always... It seems like they just get booed by their own fans constantly at the draft. I know Right, the Jets. Is that who it is? Is it the Jets? <laughs> it, yeah, because they always had the draft in New York, so there was always more people there. Okay, so... My my analogy for Toronto's response was like when the Jets announce a trade at the draft. They, right. There's not even you don't even get to announce the people yet, and they're already booing. <laughs> okay, oh, here's God. my take. here we go. Here's my take on it. I I think several weeks ago, 
The Avs were granted permission to talk to Dubas about some sort of job. Um, I, I don't know how specific it was, but it, it's one of those situations where if it's going to be a promotion that, you know, the, the team that has the guy kind of has to, <laughs> he kind of has to let the guy interview for a higher position or, you know, it, it's just bad for your employees morale. It's right. See, this is where I was going with this, too. Yeah. And that I, I think Toronto was under the impression that they were giving him a promotion. And I'm not sure that's the position that the Avalanche intended to hire him for. I think they were trying to interview him for a lateral move. And this that's, is my thought. That's the conclusion yeah. I've reached, too, is Colorado reaches out and says, hey, uh, we want to talk to your guy. And Toronto thinks... Okay, maybe they're doing the thing that half the internet thinks they're doing and bumping sacking up to the president and hiring a new GM. Sure, talk to him. But Kyle, tell us what they what they want. And so Dubas goes over and is like, Hey, what are we doing here? And comes back and says it's not a promotion and Toronto says, These ours, no, hands off. Yeah. I, yeah. I agree with that totally. But there is and that to me is the most plausible possible situation. And and I think this actually happened quite a while ago. It, it might have happened you know, two, three, four weeks ago. That's possible. Mm -hmm. um, but what's really interesting is that, it, I mean, the, the Friedman saying that it's possible that some people in the Colorado Avalanche organization don't know about it um, is because of this ending quote, I think, where he, he kind of got some pushback. There's a quote. I've got to tell you, it was a strange story because normally when you get some information, the one thing I really like about covering this league is that if you have something, most people won't flat out lie to you. They'll say either, you're halfway there and I better make sure you get this right, or they'll say, you know what, I'm just not going to talk about it. This one, it wasn't as if anyone was lying. It was more like, yeah, we're not going to touch this one. And I was like, what's going on here? And it's just a really weird story, and I think nobody really knew 100% where it stood. And The best guess I could give you as we speak at 8 a.m. Mountain Time Friday is that I believe that Toronto has closed the window and he's not going. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, people are just out like being like, no, I'm not, I'm not even going to touch that. And it's possible that people in the Avalanche organization didn't even know it. It was happening. What? <laughs> that is such a weird reaction. I hadn't even heard that part. It's at the bottom uh, of the fan rag thing. It's underneath the, uh, there's like a, a unrelated Friedman tweet pasted in there for no reason. Like, it looks like it's yeah. the end of the story, because it says the team also announced this week that Frank, Tim, and Dave will not be returning next season. And then there's just, like, an unrelated tweet, so it looks like it's over. You may stop scrolling, but if you keep going, hmm. there's a bomb. <laughs> it's like uh, the little tidbit at the end of the Marvel movie, right? The uh, teaser into the next one? Mm -hmm. But I, I, I really wonder who Friedman was talking to, because, I, I mean... I, there aren't many people in the Az organization, and I can't imagine any of them talking to him. And there uh, aren't many voices in the Toronto organization, you know, any Lou Lamorello administration, who's going to talk. Right. Hmm. But, it, you know, it, I, I think it's more like, I mean, at, at best he called Martineau, and Martineau was like, we're not talking about that. And that's that's his stock answer, so that's not surprising at all. Um. Because I mean, Joe obviously wouldn't say anything about it. I don't think. I mean, I don't think Craig Billington's number is known by anybody. Um, <laughs> you know, Chris McFarland. I, you know, that I, I don't know if Chris McFarland talks on background to people. Maybe he does. Um, 
but it just you almost wonder if any of those guys thought felt a little threatened though like a chris mcfarland like hey man i've been your assistant for a few years now and what the heck well if anyone should bring a hot shot in billington because kyle dubas is his job with the marlies and with the leaves is basically what billington does right so I mean, you know, if you're taking anything about what they're looking for, it's they're looking for someone to do Billington's job. Yep. I, I don't think promoting him to GM was ever a thing. I mean, I, I know there's a lot of speculation about that, and hell, it might even be the right move, but I just I don't see that happening this offseason. Not at all. I, I mean, he said last year he wasn't ready for, for being a GM and in the league. That's and, why he did interview with uh, Arizona. And if it was mm-hmm. happening, your GM is out of the out of the team before June. Like, you can wait till almost June to let assistants go. That's, I mean, it's kind of strange. You're thinking, how do you not know you're going to make this move? But it doesn't hurt anything. Mm-hmm. If you if yeah. you still have a lame duck GM going almost going into June, <laughs> with the expansion draft coming up, with the entry draft coming up, with free agency coming up, like. That's a little strange. Yeah, it's too right. late. Plus, you know, the Marlies were done a long time ago. The Maple Leafs were done a month ago. Like, you could have made this move a month ago, which is probably when the discussion actually occurred. Now, the Marlies were done two weeks ago. Two weeks ago? Okay. Yeah. Forever ago. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that's a, that's a, I, I think whatever, whenever this happened, I, I think it, it was probably happening in the Marlies last series. Um, it's just, it, from the quotes you get about Dubas from around the league on background, it seems like he's a very smart guy. He's very good at identifying problems, um, uh, figuring out <laughs> solutions. I'm not sure but we need a problem identifier in Colorado. Uh, <laughs> there's one. <laughs> yeah. I found it. Yeah. There's another. You there's stink. Another. But as far you guys as detect an entire NHL franchise, it's just, it, it the, the consensus is, is he's, He's probably not quite ready for that yet. Yeah. Did you detect maybe some envy in the quotes that Dater got on background from other GMs about like what kind of hire that would be? Yeah. Uh, the BSN article was kind of in white. I mean, I'm reading these and I'm like, oh man, they just hate how young he is, which I do too. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah. I wish no, I, uh, I were his age and a GM of a team. It's, so, it's very similar to, to Chaco in, in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just that, you know, I just I, I, I don't think he would be ready to take, you know, a full on GM's role in the NHL, even if Joe was still the VP of hockey operations and, and sort of running that part of it. Um, right. I mean, you'd still see Sackick being the face. You'd still see yeah. Sackick, you know, probably having the final say on a lot of things, but he'd be exactly. not Brandon dealing Shanahan, with the day to day development. He'd be Trevor Linden, you know. Yeah. Right. He would not but be Steve I'd like to see but to go forward with this, I don't think this story is dead at all. I, think, I agree. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm getting the impression from people, AJ among them, that there are people out there that they either want to talk to or wanted to talk to or have talked to. Um, one, one name that keeps coming up is Paul Fenton, who is the AGM and, and sort of does the same thing uh, for the Nashville Predators. And he is a guy Good that timing. a lot of people would love to have in the organization. 
Uh, so, that team's developed a couple of good young defensemen, have they not? Yeah, and they've developed a, a couple of young. <laughs> That's a team that has lost Shea Weber and Ryan Suter and Seth Jones and are no worse for wear. Yeah. <laughs> Can Fuck. we have that, please? And, yeah. and although I mean, Milwaukee doesn't have a very good playoff record, they, they're a very good regular season team, and they. I forget the number. It's at least 15 guys from the Admirals went up to Nashville and played, you know, it's some number of games this year. So right. it, it's a really good system that they have as far as preparing guys to play in the NHL down in the AHL. So right. a, a guy like Fenton is something that, you know, the Avs would really, really benefit from. Um and, and and whether they can talk to him now, whether you know that the Predators are like not during the finals or not during the semis, um, or maybe they said it was okay and everyone's being very quiet about it, um, you know that that's something that you might look at, um, you know. And there's there's other guys around the league like that. Um, one one name that well, keeps coming to- up. Is is Julian Brisois in in Tampa, um, hmm. who's who's done a very similar job. Uh, so it, it's it's kind of becoming clear that that's the the role that they're looking for is sort of someone that can develop new talent, um, you know, sort of raise the talent level of the organization by means other than. You know, getting old free agents on on the July first. Developing well, talent, especially on the back, this. would be nice. Yeah. I mean, we've been discussing this scenario for a while. Like Joe Sakic, you got to be the face of the franchise. You're good at people Uh-oh. like you. It's fine, but go be John Elway. You know, John Elway isn't the GM of the General Denver Broncos. Never has been. You know, there's other guys that don't get any of the credit that do all the work. You know, uh, John Elway is the guy that gets free agents to come because of his name recognition, but he's not the guy in charge of drafting and developing. And uh, no matter how much credit this town wants to give him, he's just not. Let's put Joe Sackick in that situation. Let's bring in a guy that knows what he's doing. And unfortunately, that probably has to be a promotion because you're not going to get an assistant GM at any of these other successful teams to come to you unless it's for a general manager role. Yeah, I agree totally. I mean, I think Joe would be a very good leader. I mean, he, you know, that that was what he was great at. Uh, right. Besides scoring goals, <laughs> besides all the hockey stuff, yeah, he was besides really, all really the wonderful at. things he did on the ice, he was he was a good captain. He was a good. Uh, sort of room builder, mm-hmm. but I think he could do the same thing as, you know, the top dog as far as hockey, hockey operations in the Avalanche. <clears throat> but if he had guys that were better at the nuts and bolts things, uh, working under him, that it would it would benefit the club a lot. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I don't think we've seen the end of the story, and we'll keep following it. I mean, Still a few weeks until a lot of uh, really difficult decisions need to be made. So, yeah, yeah, we'll deploy the spies and, again, and see what we can find out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but again, the, the ABS are very secretive about everything. 
You have to think, even though Nashville has been put into the spotlight over the past several months, that they're actually, since they're a small market and they're not a huge management structure, that they, you know, they would be able to keep something under wraps. You know, it's like that's obviously news they wouldn't want to see during the finals or the semifinals. So, you know, if, if they were talking to, to Fenton, that's something that both teams were, were okay with. Um, that's something we might see an announcement later on after the finals are done. Okay. So, um, speaking of, fi- of the finals, it's uh, been an interesting ride to get here, but it is a, finally the Nashville Predators and the Pittsburgh Penguins. So you got... Reds. I can't pick against the Penguins. No way. Back to back. I look at the Preds as is the team that doesn't know what they can't do. I kind of nice. tend to agree with that. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm cheering for the Predators. <laughs> I just, uh, I'm, I'm doubting. I just, I don't think, I don't think Pittsburgh has been exposed as much as they could have been by various teams. You know, I, I think hey, man. Washington. They're folded. still going to get those Phil Kessel calls. They don't need any talent. They don't need any <laughs> experience. All, all Phil has it. to do is say, "Move the fucking puck," and suddenly they win a series. That's all you got to do. Yeah. All yeah, I do. mean, I, you know, all all they had to do with Ottawa was defeat their stupid trap and, and get a, get pucks past Andy, which is incredibly difficult, but you can do it. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, Washington. You know they're they're a fantastic team, but they just you know they don't elevate during the playoffs. Um, Nashville can play them straight up. You yeah, know, they got the defense to do it. You know, and, and it's you know Pittsburgh's dealing with injuries. You know, it's like having Latang out. You know, sooner or later that's got to bite them, and it hasn't yet, obviously. But I just wonder I think, how long Pecorino's run lasts. Pecorine is the reason that team wins the Stanley Cup. Man, that is a lot of crow being eaten all over the country, yeah. <laughs> all over the universe. Yep. Well, and you, you gave that guy a pretty hard time all year. Is Rene had the same operation Varley did? So, so are you telling me this was foreshadowing? I, I'm saying that. Are you saying you the know, cup is so ours? No, I'm just saying that. <laughs> You can come back and be a, a you know a, a competent NHL goalie after this. It's not like Damn. I wanted you to see the couple stars. Yeah, I need hope. So ours. <laughs> All it takes is a couple new assistant coaches and Varley becoming the new Pekka Rene. And how about Andre Varley? Mironoff. How about Varley with his new groin and his old goalie coach? The bionic groin. Wrap the Vezina up in, in November. <laughs> Bring it on. With this 1,000 save percentage. <laughs> exactly. Just not give up the goal until January. Right. <laughs> so, are, do we, are two to one in predicting Nashville, are, who are you rooting for? Nashville, easy, no, no question about it. I want to see Cody McLeod hold up a cup. Why the hell not? That'd make me happy. Okay. Yep. I mean, <clears throat> they're, I, I, 
there are some guys I don't like on, on Nationals team, obviously, but um, there are some likable guys. Um, you know, it's like if you can't root for PK, who can you root for? Plus, we've seen how important just winning a cup is to like a smaller mid market, you know, city, and that would mean so much for just the sport of hockey to have a team in Nashville have that. You know, of course, we'll have to hear it about it for the next you know five to ten years. But <laughs> yeah, new fans still, are coming can't out help of woodwork but, over there. I mean, just to, just right. to further your point, I mean, you're, we're seeing constant stories about new fans, and they're not being. Great run off by snobs going, well, can you even name 13 of their first-round picks? Right. You know, do you get that same sort of reaction if you have two original six teams in the finals again? No, you don't. And uh, I personally love it. I want to see players from mid-market teams in the Hall of Fame. I want to see players marketed from mid-market teams. I mean, this is uh, important for the Avalanche, too. It'll, it'll be interesting to see who NBC decides to push in the series, whether it's focus on Crosby, whether it's focus on Subban, or split the time. I, You know, I, I hadn't watched much of the Pittsburgh-Ottawa series. Hang on. Let, let's let that moving van get out of the shot here. That's another Harley. That was so uh, loud. People love their Harleys. Uh, I hadn't watched much of the Pittsburgh Ottawa series until last night, but you know, Doc Edzo and Pierre's just obvious bias for the Penguins is disgusting. Uh, they love the Penguins, man. I mean, I don't know if it was sort of like the American team versus the Canadian team, or you know, the the, <laughs> the beloved NBC team versus the non-beloved CBC team, or what? But the, the familiar team versus the team nobody in America remembers is in the NHL. The uh, the fun offense team versus the trap team. But it's like I mean, Craig Anderson and Bobby Ryan are Americans. I mean, you can you can work that. <laughs> uh, well, we maybe we only may want to claim one of those. Um, but I mean, Craig Anderson is a story, and Eric Carlson's injuries are a story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's there's definitely angles to push there. And he was fantastic, yeah. even with no heel or whatever you know whatever was broken there. I think he was yeah. completely replaced with bionic parts. And, and <laughs> I just I, I love what he's done for the game as far as make it such that you know a guy that that sort of on paper looks like Tyson Berry on steroids can actually become a fantastic defensive zone player. And, you know, there's hope. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just watching him play defense. You're just like, wow, this guy is not an offensive defenseman. You know, this yeah, guy I think it was important is, to get Carlson kind of in front of that audience. All around the ice defenseman. And giving national television the opportunity to see him play is so important because I, I don't have, you know, NHL center ice. I don't get to watch this all the time. He's like, one of the best players in the league, and he's so hidden in Ottawa. <laughs> but it's just, um, and, and I think Chris Letang kind of did that last year as well, because he was another guy with the offensive defenseman tag. But you know, they they just made huge deal of him blocking shots everywhere last year and, and things like that. 
but it's, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, hopefully that the Avs management is looking at, like, you know, you don't need, you know, Fetter Tutin or Nate Gennon to, to do this kind of work. <laughs> you don't need Fetter Tutin or Nate Gennon to do anything, actually. Yeah. You it's don't like need Fetter Tutin or Nate Gennon full stop. Exactly. It's like you, you get guys that can skate the puck up or pass the puck up, and they don't have the block. What's a pass? Uh, and, yeah. and, What's a breakout? What? The, the, the guys that pass the puck up and skate the puck up, they can block shots if they have to. It's no big deal. Yeah. And they also have <laughs> enough vision to uh, get an offensive shot going the other direction. Exactly. Two passes. Our goal once in a while. What? Let's not get carried away. How, how many legs does it have to bounce off of? <laughs> Is there a minimum? Eh, yeah, four point two. How do you? Uh, okay. Point two um, legs. Point two legs. What's what's been your favorite series of the playoffs so far? Caps leaves. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Caps, I mean, the, the Caps uh, League yeah. was the only one that wasn't a total grind for most of it. Um, there have been a lot of really unwatchable series. I mean, that even though I, I I tend to like Nashville, their series with the Blues was something I'd never inflict on my worst enemy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd probably go Caps-Penguins. That, that, to me, is probably the two best teams left on paper. And they fought really hard. And I guess maybe just the the agony of defeats is so appealing sometimes. I didn't wish it upon the Capitals, but, you know, that to me was the most intriguing series. And, you know, it, it, the result was intriguing as well. well it just didn't well, go. But they got halacked again. Yeah, I mean, they, they got a – those two teams together were very high skill, very offensively oriented – and there was a lot of back and forth play. It wasn't a lot of neutral zone, just blah. Which is what we saw a lot in the Western Conference. Yeah. And it's just, it, you look at the teams like that, and <clears throat> I know Tampa didn't, you know, didn't, you know, Tampa has shown in, in previous years that that can work as well. It's like that, that sort of Eastern Conference style play where you don't have to, just play between the blue lines for 90% of the game. Um, you know, that, that can show the fans an exciting brand of hockey, but still be defensively responsible and very skillful. And I think that's what the NHL really needs to encourage somehow. Let's pick the pace up a little bit. What has been um, your least favorite series to watch? I would say the, <laughs> the Wild Blues, but I didn't watch it. Uh, yeah, uh, that would probably be me too. I didn't watch any of it. You know what? I mean, I haven't watched enough of probably every series to have a least favorite, but there's definitely some teams in that Western Conference I did not care to see. Uh, Um, you know. I will say every time I tuned in to, uh, Boston and Ottawa, I was just like, why did I watch this? I know it's overtime, but it's terrible. The worst thing about the, the the two blues series seem to me two of the worst. 
and they, they fired their coaches and they replaced one of them with Steve Ott. And that just says to me that they're just going to be the all-time worst team ever. Yeah, you guys don't understand the problem yet, do you? <laughs> yeah. it's just that ain't the solution. I mean, it, it, I don't fear playing them, but it's just that, – that's that's more dread than I used to look at playing in the wild. Hmm. Because you have Mike Yo and you have Steve Ott and – Steve Ott. <laughs> we can't make fun of his contract anymore, but we can definitely make fun of the Blues <laughs> for hiring him as an assistant coach behind the bench. Right. <laughs> We'll always have that next year. Yeah. <laughs> my, my machine gun fake laugh has actually cracked me up. But I mean, look at I the may Blues. have to mute. <laughs> the, the Blues have Mike Yo. They have Steve Ott behind the bench as a first-year coach that doesn't know what he's doing other than like, <laughs> hit somebody. And they don't have any... They have no AHL affiliate. <laughs> I'm in tears over here. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! I mean, it's just, it, I'm glad I was on mute when you said that because I would have destroyed speakers. Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ! But I just, you know, you just look at a, a franchise doubling down on dumb. <laughs> And I know we can't talk, but geez, it's nice to see that and just say, like, all right, if there's someone in the same regatta. What's been your favorite <laughs> result of the playoffs? Probably mm. the Ducks losing to the Preds. Okay. That was that was a triumph of good over evil. Mm. The, I, I kind of look at Nashville as PK and scum, so. We can agree to disagree on that one. Well, I mean, what do you what what's your take on Anaheim? Full scum. <laughs> Full scum with Randy. I mean, it's, I look at Anaheim as they prevented us from having Anaheim versus Edmonton, which would I mean, sorry, uh, Nashville versus Edmonton, which might have actually been a great series. Yeah, gosh, do I have a strong opinion on this? Probably not. I think my favorite result will be to come when Sidney Crosby loses in Game Seven, <laughs> and have to watch every announcer talk about it for you know the twenty minutes that National Hockey gets. And my favorite result was Chicago getting run straight the hell out. <laughs> Get out! And I forgot they're even in the playoffs. <laughs> Get out! Is that a thing? I don't. Yeah. In case I didn't mention, my favorite series to watch also was definitely Washington and Toronto. That was, yes, Washington and Pittsburgh was extremely close and good to watch and good hockey and it's kind of amazing to watch the frustration finally tear that team down in Game Seven as they could not score a goal and then just finally were like just broke. Um, <laughs> But, I mean, Washington and Toronto was every game a one-goal game, like five overtime games, like several goal leads come back from, and that was outstanding. It was, and, and there was fantastically skilled plays that you could see. And, you know, it, 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 it had a lot to offer as far as different things to focus on. 
So maybe with less to offer in terms of spectator value, but with much much more Avalanche involvement. Congratulations to uh, Team Sweden, who have won gold at the IIHF World Championships 2017. Claps to you, um, and also to Carl Soderberg, who was on that team but didn't dress for the for the gold medal game. I think Oof. I saw something that the Colorado Avalanche did. <laughs> you think they noticed the certain effort in his play that was lacking? So I'm going to run down the uh, the write up on the Avalanche website because I think they have some like a pretty good concise listing of the Avalanche related players stat lines. Um, so Calvin Pickard was five and two in the in net for Team Canada. He had one shutout and a 9.38 save percentage, which is you know that's decent. It's quite good. Meanwhile, also for Team Canada, you have Nathan McKinnon, who puts out, in 10 games, 15 points, 6 goals, and 9 assists. <laughs> Which was good for second in the tournament. Artemi Panarin. Artemi Panarin. We're the bread man. The, since when is the bread man the leading scorer? Um, I, we have to take... Fast players scoring a lot at Worlds with a humongous crystal of salt. Not even a grain, a whole crystal. Especially since Mac had a lot of points on the PP. And there's that some, was, we that can was talk Canada about that in a minute. We, we, we'll, we, we'll get to Mac on the PP in a minute. Um, not that there's <laughs> anything wrong with that. Matt Duchesne, 10 games, 1 goal on 17 shots. Oh boy. Um, the gold medal game, Carl Soderberg not dressing, was actually his second in a row. He didn't dress in the semis either. He was a plus two with an assist in eight games. Well, plus two, that means everything. Gabe Landeskog had five points in ten games. Two goals, three assists. And one great cup-raising photograph. Let's go, let's go hot tub and in full gear. Why not? <laughs> and, and, and just an asterisk next, next to Gabe, uh, only three guys had more goals than he did on that Swedish team. They didn't score a lot. so And they won. And they did, yeah. Defense wins, parentheses, world championships. They sure did. Then for Team Finland, we have Mikko Rantanen, who finished with 10 points in 10 games, four goals and six assists. So I hear that's not bad. Yeah, I hear that's rather good. He, he was also aided a bunch by the power play, but Finland was very, very not good during the round robin. Yeah, Finland internationally is still in just a rough spot where their talent is still young and undeveloped, and their old talent is just old. Their coach was mm-hmm. in jack-off. That's basically what it is. That's a big part of the problem, too, because you keep putting like good, good players on the third line for no obvious reason. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, like... The, the top line for Finland for most of the tournament was Aho on the left wing, uh, Valtteri Fikula, uh in the center. Probably and, required based on who Finland's centers are. Yeah, and, and Miko on the right wing. Um, Aho is a, a center. Uh, he's quite good there. <laughs> they had him at the left wing instead, and... Um, and as much as we like Miko, I don't know if you want him to be your country's best right winger. No, I think he did. I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't put anyone else ahead of him. 
Um, but if they put Aho at center and Miko at, at right wing and then anyone else on the left wing, I think they would have had, you know, that would have been a much better line. Um, they put Aho at center on the second line with pool party. <laughs> I'm, I'm a, that's pull your Yarvi, pals. <laughs> pool party. Um, Hate you. <laughs> but you know, it's, it it seemed like they had they had the the Finns had some decent talent. It just seemed like the coach might not have. Sort of played enough with the lines, or grasped what he needed to do with the lines. I don't know, but and that's you been know, a recurring a football problem. coach. And that's been a recurring problem because he's done that with I think Patrick Line before too. Yeah, and you know you, you notice that they were a little little lacking on talent that they probably could have had that some guys probably didn't want to play. Sort of harkens back to Jan Hada when he said he flat out would never play for the checks again mm-hmm. <laughs> and as we mentioned earlier andre Moronov, Mironov, i don't know which it is um i'm never quite sure whether they, they put that accent on the first or second syllable of a russian last name but he had a goal in six games he did and five shots he went quite a while out of the lineup though he, he played in the uh in the bronze medal game yeah, as soon as Orlov, as soon as the Caps were eliminated, they, they brought Orlov yeah. over and he was done. And you can uh, kind of understand that. Yeah. Um, but when he did play, he was a third a third pair defenseman. He was good when they were playing bad teams like Slovenia and Italy. <laughs> well, Italy, you're playing six on four all the time, apparently. Yeah. But, but when they were playing some of the lesser teams, they 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 what gave is that bell? a lot more. Uh, Megan on an elevator. <laughs> <laughs> Deal with it. <laughs> um, but yeah, when they when they when they played some of the lesser teams, Marinov got a lot more minutes, and and that's kind of a nice thing. It, it showed the coach, you know, they he wanted to to get Marinov minutes when he could, and. You know, when it was a tougher game, that wasn't happening. So I think the elevator's dinging for every floor. <laughs> yeah, it's the offseason, folks. Um, so McKinnon scored a tremendous amount. And a lot of that, as you mentioned, was driven by the power play. He had six goals and nine assists in ten games, and he was a minus one. So you know that his points are not necessarily coming out of even strength a lot. So, I've heard Canada had huge problems scoring at even strength. So I've I've heard from a lot of different sources that Nathan McKinnon had an interesting role on the power play. He was on the left half boards, running plays a lot. Uh, he wasn't there looking for the one timer all the time like Iggy was, but you know a lot of times you would see Marner on the right half boards. Mac on the left half boards and Pareko up high. And that's kind of how they ran the power play. Um, ran that power play. Do we know? It wasn't Tim Army. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's pretty much all we need to say about that. I don't, I don't know who's on Team Canada staff other than Mike Babcock, but you know who does know? Um, the internet? Yes. John, John Cooper was their coach, right? 
I don't know who the assistant. I, I think Gerard Gallant might have been running the power play. John Cooper was their coach. Gerard Gallant, Dave Haxtell, and Dave King were the assistants. Yeah. I just want to know what genius figured out how to use Nathan McKinnon correctly, even in exhibition-type games here. I want me some of that. I I think it's pretty obvious that someone should have figured that out. Someone. (laughs) We're not going to name Over the course of multiple seasons here? Yeah. Um, No, because it's really nice because, I mean, what he did from that situation, he wasn't just one-timing it like Iggy. If the shot wasn't there, he would either give it back to Pareko, he would shoot it through the center to Marner, or he would bring it down low and give it to the guy in front of the net. And that was usually O'Reilly. So, I mean, there's, you know, he was very creative from that spot. And he was using a creativity you never saw with the Um <laughs> One, I'm going to devil's advocate here a little bit. And I'm making it clear from the outset that I'm devil's advocating. Um, because I don't know that I agree with this standpoint too much, but I've heard on, you know, other outlets like to sit around and talk about the worst team in the league during May. Um, you know, maybe Nathan McKinnon plays, plays where he does on the avalanche power play because he's the best available player for that spot on the power play. Like he's the best they have in that role and they don't necessarily trust other skaters that they have to fill that role effectively. As far as what? Putting him in the middle? Like, <laughs> just kind of manning things and working down low when it needs to happen and that kind of stuff. I don't, you know. Eh. Now that It'll all coach... be nullified when A.J. Greer comes up next year anyway. So. Yeah. I, I mean, there's... <clears throat> I, don't, I, I don't think it, it really bears talking about because... <laughs> you know, <laughs> Tim Army's gone. <laughs> whoever they get is is going to have a you know I can't imagine they'd have a worse take on it so right, whoever they get enough. is going to watch that video watch video of the avalanche and see very clear differences in performance <laughs> hopefully yeah fair enough I mean how could you not I, I just feel like the value you get from distributor Nathan McKinnon even if he's the best distributor on your roster is much lower than playmaking scoring Nathan McKinnon Okay, and, and let's you know let, let's cross over to the Swedes for a while. Um, the Swedes had a similar power play, and Landy was the dude that was in the middle of the box, you know, the high slot guy. And the that was where Canada scored. Yeah, that, that's where Canada scored a ton of their goals on the power play, and he worked great there. So, all right, now you've got two guys in positions you might not have known about before. That seemed to work very well on the power play. Um, and you have film of this. Do you think it's effective to switch up your your positions in the season two when things aren't working? You know, perhaps try new things like, hey, let's throw Landy in the highest spot now? Well, if you're not doing something right, you may as well do something else. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> if you keep doing it wrong, out of that? for a better result, Can, I don't know what does the new front page layout allow you to have taglines again? Because that's a new that's the new tagline. <laughs> if you're not doing something right, do something different. <laughs> We're gonna find out. I mean, if you if you look at 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 the Finnish, the Swedish, and the Canadian power plays together, 
I'm inspired. And, and, and you look at what Miko and Landy and Mac did on those power plays, not with each other, obviously, but you're looking at that like, all right, these three guys are in different spots that were compatible. Yeah, all and they're so glad of really good players in this world championship yeah, here. It's not like they're playing against scrubs. Yeah. I mean, it's like EJ or Barry could play the Pareko role there. And then all you need is a guy that's your down low puck retriever slash uh, getting the goalie's face guy. And that could be Comfort, that could be Greer, that could be a lot of guys. So, I, I mean, it's like the coaches of these international teams have built your next year's power play for you already. All you have to do <laughs> is get your brain around it. All you have to do is notice. Exactly. So, um, Worlds happened. May have taught us some things. Um, but there's another Avalanche-related uh, entity that is still playing very advanced into their season, and that is fill-in-the-blank. That is the Colorado Eagles. Colorado that Eagles, a- who are in ECHL's Kelly Cup Final, am I right? That's right. They're in the Kelly Cup Finals. Um, they have won three series. They have beat the Idaho Steelheads, the Allen Americans, and the Toledo Walleye. Um, the this Allen is the Americans. playoff experience that's going to permeate throughout the organization, right? Walleye. Sure. Championship culture. Okay. Well, it's just—I mean, the Americans have won. Uh, they won la- They won last year's Kelly Cup. Uh, Toledo was the best team during the regular season, so they've taken out those two. Now they're playing the South Carolina Stingrays, which is great because the Eagles' coach played with them early in his career as a defenseman with Jared Bednar, who later became the coach of the South Carolina Stingrays. And one storyline, Jesus, everywhere. Yeah, it's almost like hockey's a small world. Yeah, no, to this <laughs> day, Bednar still lives in in Charleston. Huh? During the off season. Interesting. Yeah. So, but, it, so it wouldn't be that big of an ask then for you to drive to Jared Bednar's house with a nice little VHS of the world's power play footage and say, "Do you still own a VCR?" <laughs> <laughs> I'll just send it to my sister. My sister lives about five minutes away from me. There you go. All right. <laughs> Game plan. Um, but, you know, the, the, the guys that are under abs or rampage contracts have been huge. Uh, Alex Belzeal, who who spent most of the season with the rampage, and he's kind of a, a third, fourth line grinder there, but he did spend a little bit of time in the top six. He's leading the ECHL in scoring in the playoffs. He has... 24 points in 14 games, uh, 14 goals, 10 assists. I mean, he's just, you know, he's clutch. He's huge down there. Um, but he's only on a, a rampage contract. Uh, Julian Nantel has seven goals and four assists, and he's had three game-winning goals. And he he had the game-winning goals in the last two games of the last series versus Toledo. Um, Sounds even more clutch. Yeah, he's he's really, uh, you know, he, he he's looking a lot better than he did with the rampage. Although that's not that hard. Uh, <laughs> but if we look back to last spring, he was with the uh, Ruinaranda Huskies, and they were winning the the President's Trophy in the queue and, and going to the Memorial Cup. 
Um, so it's, you know, second spring in a row that he's, he's playing some big, big games. Um, but Sergey Boykov's looked great. He's, he's been scoring. He's about a half point a game guy. Mason Gertson's very good defensively. He's helped out that defensive core a lot. Um, Sean St. Amont, who is a, he was at a couple of the, the Avs camps, but ended up signing a rampage contract and, and playing a bunch of the season with Colorado with the Eagles. Um, you know, he, he's got four goals and, and five assists. So. Do most teams I, bring in ringers like this? Um, some of them do. You know, most teams, if they're, they're good, they kind of make the playoffs in the AHL. So. Yeah. They don't, they don't have that option. But. Um, you know, the, watching the Eagles play, it, it, they play a, a really good style. They have a lot of really big defensemen that are mobile. Um, they can break traps. They're quick. They have skill. So it's, it's something that's going to help these guys coming back next year. A little boost of confidence. Get the sure. rampage back on track. Exactly. Before we gank the entire organization out from under them and, uh, you know, displace them in Loveland, Colorado with the Eagles. Exactly. Right? Expansion? Uh, huh? Well, it's just, you know, the, a lot of the Avalanche personnel have been going to Eagles games when they've been in Loveland. The AHL has 30 teams. They need 31. Um, you know, word on the street is that the, the Eagles management would wouldn't mind moving up to the AHL if the Avs were able to acquire the 31st franchise you know, probably next summer. So, I, I, I think with the, the amount of fans that they're getting in, in Loveland, uh, it's showing that you know an AHL team could work there. So, we might have an AHL affiliate on the front range sooner rather than later. Which would be neat. It would, you know, it'd be, you know, it'd be similar to, you know, the, the Marley situation now with the Leafs or what, what the Canadians are going to have with the Laval rocket. Um, you know, it's, or all it's the not- California teams have all pretty much all brought their franchises West. Yeah. Yeah. San Diego with, with Anaheim and, and, uh, Ontario with the Kings that's Ontario, Shark. California. Yeah. Which is and, a thing. And the, the Sharks have their team playing in the same building. So, Geez, the Sharks could do what the Leafs did a couple of years ago where they would like send guys down to the AHL on the off days to save cap money. They pretty much can. I mean, it's... It, it's... It doesn't make for great ice for either team, but... <laughs> it's a good thing. Yeah. So, um, do we want to get into the expansion draft? Sure. Are we gonna buy out we Frank at the end of the season? We we have to buy out Frank. That remains step one. Right. Step one: buy out Boschman. Question mark. Question mark. Question mark. Profit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, goes for it. That doesn't change. 
everything hinges on that move, does it not? I, I definitely agree, because you, your options are to protect eight skaters or to protect seven forwards and three defensemen. And Boschman's no-move clause, to remember, means he has to be protected. You don't have a choice. You have to do it. It's not a dumb decision. It's a dumb pass decision, forcing your hand now. So when Boschman gets protected because they didn't buy him out, it's not a dumb protection. It's a dumb non-buyout. I think I'm done. My, my question is, even, even if you do get Bosch to wave, because you don't want to buy him out right off the bat, you want to get him to wave and then buy him out after the draft, um, <clears throat> wouldn't you rather protect eight skaters anyway? Wouldn't you rather protect Barbario if you didn't have to protect Bosch? Because if, <laughs> yes. if you're choosing three defensemen, you're choosing Eric Johnson, you're choosing Tyson Berry, which you should. And you're choosing... Big Z. Zadorov, that's who I was missing. God, you, you get hurt for like, is it just a couple of months and I forget you exist. I'm like a bird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, those three, I mean, the, you know, you have to protect EJ, which you should anyway. Um, you, you should protect Barry no matter what, and you'd be insane not to protect Z. And I think... You know, as opposed to two other forwards, I'd rather protect Barbario. I mean, you know, I, I think as far as forwards go, you protect, you know, you protect Mac and Landy, Duchesne, and then Andrew Getta. And Rantanen is safe. And Rantanen is safe, of course. And Comper is safe as well. Of course, all of that starts to fall down a little bit if you are stuck with Boschman on an NMC, and then you end up with someone like Andrew Ghetto or Barbario getting claimed. Can't do it. Which would be worse? I'm, I'm trying to go through this in my mind. Which would hurt worse, losing Andrew Ghetto or losing Barbario? Well, um, I want to very much stress how small the sample size on Andrew Ghetto was last season. And Barbario, too. Andrew Ghetto was a marginal player with Montreal, and some of that is usage. Some of that is a big usage change. But all that said, I would rather, given the rest of the roster, I would rather see Andrew Ghetto than Barbario if I had to pick one. I would rather see Andrew Ghetto stay. Yeah, I would kind of lean that way, only because I think their forward core is thinner than their defensive core. I, I know that sounds crazy. Yep, that's where but... I'm going to. Like, I just don't think they can afford to lose a, a solid middle six wing on that team. Whereas I think you could probably swap out a bottom, bottom pairing defenseman and get away with it. I definitely think the defenders are salvageable. I don't think they're good, but I think they're salvageable. I think the forwards are razor thin. Yeah, I mean, you know, Andrew Ghetto showed something at the end of last year that many guys on the team didn't, and that was the ability to put the, the puck in the net. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, Foreign territory. It's difficult. In the it's other net. We were really good at doing it onto our own. I mean, there are plenty of guys that can shoot the puck at the net. You know, there's, there's plenty of guys who can miss and ring it all the way around the boards and out on a, on a break-in. 
Yeah, or just pass back to your buddy when you're on a breakaway. Or pass back to your buddy who's not there, and now it's the other team's breakaway. <laughs> Did we mention that the Avalanche stunk this year? Yeah. I've been but trying I mean, to forget. I, I, I hate losing either of those guys. I really yes, would. Yes, I, do. I oh. do as well. And you'll notice that gr- nowhere in this conversation is Grigorenko. Because he sucks. I was going to say, is anybody right. upset about that? No. I can't get if they sad take Grigorenko, he's doing us the biggest favor ever. You know that would be taking Carl. Yeah, Oof. because it you know we're not we haven't mentioned it yet, but I mean Calvin looked really good with Canada. This is I where I was going to go. Shot suppression was fantastic. I mean they outshot everyone by almost eighteen shots per game. Right. Um, but but I, he was stopping the ones that were coming at him, and that's important. Yeah, he had gave a six, a, 938 clip, I think. Yeah, I mean, he gave up, I, I think it was, it was 11 or 12 goals in seven games, something like that. Uh, yeah, there were a couple softies in there as usual, but it's like when we get our new goalie coach, maybe those go away too. Um, I, I'd really hate to lose Calvin. I know a lot of people mm-hmm. disagree with me on this, but I, I just, I, I, I don't think the backup goalies are, are as easy to get this season. That everyone thinks, oh, we can just pick up some backup goalie and it's fine. I mean, you know, if Varley gets hurt again, hmm. I don't want Halak out there or you know, whoever we pick up. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting this week because one of the goalie coaches, of course, is somebody that Semyon Varlamov really, really values. And what yeah. that signaled to a lot of people was that, well, maybe they're protecting Varlam- Varlamov. And don't get me wrong, I think he is the most talented goalie on the team. But I do think his contract and his injury history likely prevents him from being selected uh, in, in the expansion draft. Because he and, still has $5.9 million next year and next year. Right. Yeah. Which, granted, they've got to pay somebody. They've got to get up to a minimum cap. So they will be taking on some expensive contracts, and maybe you take up a goalie. You know, this is a wild card, even carry the backup. For, yeah, it's only for two years. Right. So it's not impossible, but I could definitely see it, you know, Las Vegas going like, eh, you know, not worth the risk. I'd rather blow that money on somebody who can actually play every day. Right. And, and, um, and the thing with Pickard, all right, if they pick him, um, you know, let's say they get, let's say they get flurry somehow and, and, and another goalie that's in the NHL and they pick, you know, why would they pick Pickard? Because they're going to put him on waivers, and he has to have first choice, and they just take him back. So, uh. Yeah, I mean, there's still a lot of things that can happen. I'm really interested to see what that decision is. Me too. And, and for me, I mean, not losing either goalie is important, like extremely important, because like you said, the free agent market is, you know, not great, and... Yeah. It's not like the Avalanche can just absorb that hit without having to go pick up somebody. I know. Yep. God forbid they trade for someone to, to, you know, if Picker gets taken in the expansion draft and they have to trade or feel the need to trade for somebody, I mean, giving up assets <laughs> for a, another goalie is just D-U-M dumb. <laughs> Dallas. <laughs> yeah, Dallas. <laughs> How many expensive-ass goalies you want on one team? Yeah. Dallas. I mean, that could be an interesting situation. Hey, you want to eat some salary and uh, give us one of those goalies you don't want? Uh, that'd be a good backup if you happen to lose one. What do you give them for an asset? They want something. 
You know, I mean, that's the thing. They can't carry those three goalies. The rights to Patrick Weirkosh. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if they're willing to take, you know, something like that, that's great. But it's like, you know, if any other team in the league that has an extra second, third, fourth, whatever. Uh, Which the Avalanche do not. I mean, I have an extra four. The asset the Avalanche do have is salary cap next year. Yeah. Which, if any of those guys are signed for just one more season, then you know, put me in the for it category. Yeah, their their only big deals this year are Zadorov and then RFAs for Andrew Ghetto Nieto and Gregorenko. All, all the O's are RFAs in the same year for some strange reason. And then next year, your only free agents are Colborn, O.L., Como, O.L., Boschman, if he's not bought out, and then Barbario, and Pickard's an RFA. Yeah. So, I mean, the Avalanche are not in, not in a big cap spending trouble until Matt Duchesne is looking at UFA into his 29-year-old season. And that's, that siren is on the podcast. That's not me. That's- that's Ryan getting uh, arrested. Yeah, probably. No, it's uh, me getting throat slammed by a Montana House representative. Why does the Montana House <laughs> representative have a siren? <laughs> well, hey man, I'm on South Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> well, AJ's put this out a bunch of times, and I I totally agree that Rocco Grimaldi might be the most enticing player on the Avalanche roster for the Vegas Knights. The most enticing right. available player. Right. Um, you know, it's like he, you know, a 30 goal, goal scorer in the AHL. So if, if you have to put him down, you know, he, he's you know, he's going to help the, the Chicago Wolves. Um, if you keep him on your team, he's, you know, he has his flaws, but, you know, he's going to generate a lot of shots. He's not going to play great defense, but, um, you know, I think for a team that's not going to be that great and probably don't, won't have access to a lot of goal scoring skill, um, Grimaldi might be very, very enticing. So let's, uh, let's move to wrap this because they're starting to go pretty long and the background noise is just ramping up as we go. Um, my 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 last question to uh, to to both of you is if you are the GM for this expansion draft like process, what do you do for the Avs or if you're Vegas for the Avs? And we're not doing Vegas because that would take a week. Yeah. Um. You buy out Francois Beauchemin. Not even a question. Agreed. Even That's that the first on, thing car you do. agreed. No, 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 you don't. You get him to waive his no trade, uh, so he can be the the exposed defenseman. And when well, he doesn't waive his no trade, then you buy him out. Okay. Agreed. Um. I don't. I. It's tough. I mean, I think you really have to hope that they go for Grimaldi or Grigorenko. Yeah. Soderberg. <laughs> Not realistic. Not I, I think Grimaldi and Grigorenko are probably the two guys that, that you would look at as sort of uh, hidden value. Yep. And, it, it, you know, if you expose those two, you, you just sort of hope that those are the, the most attractive 
uh, to Vegas. Because, again, what they're really going to need is some scoring skill. And even though Grigorenko really hasn't shown much at the NHL level, and obviously Grimaldi hasn't either, um, you know, they, they do have skill. You know, they're very young, and they do have skill. So um, that's a chance you, you probably think that they would want to take. Right. If I'm Las Vegas, I want to gamble on upside. I yeah. mean, what else do you have to lose? <laughs> what Ryan was just Sorry. saying over what is now going to be a muted section is that you uh, you definitely I forgot I told you I'm a bird. What you want to do if you're Las Vegas, you want to gamble on every McHale. If you're Las Vegas, that's the part of the perspective I was missing because I was like, why would the Avalanche gamble on Grigorenko? Wait a minute, <laughs> two plus two isn't eight. Um. So, I mean, for me, step one is obviously buy Al Boschman. You protect the guys you got to. You protect, you know, Barry. You protect Z. And then, honestly, I I wonder if you look at making one of those little trades with Vegas where you give them, like, a minor kind of asset to say, please don't take Pickard. <laughs> right. Because I mean, that's the one you, like, if you're going to draft him, come to us first and we'll trade you another asset. Exactly, exactly. And then you can get two assets out of it. Because as much as it would hurt to lose, you know, the, to go into the free agency looking for a backup goaltender, Pickard is not a starter, and you absolutely must protect Varlamov because you cannot go into this offseason without a starter. Right. Agreed. Yeah. No, I mean, I... I, I think job number one is to make Vegas see it your way and, and look at, at Grigorenko and, and Grimaldi as hidden talent. And if they if they don't like that, then give them the leadership of Blake Como. I am down with losing the leadership of Balake Como. <laughs> I wish that yeah. he had been traded at the deadline, but if his eventual... Final value is protecting um, someone like Andrew Ghetto from the expansion draft, and I guess that's okay too. That's okay. Uh, you it's have to taller. look at it. You know, this coming February, you're going to have Como and Colborn as sort of assets that that are just earmarked for you know fourths, thirds, maybe. Um, yeah. So you know that. That, that's going to be nice to have. So the Mile High Hockey Podcast protected avalanche list goes Nathan McKinnon, Matt Duchesne, Gabe Landeskog, um, Eric Johnson, because you would and because you have to, Tyson Berry, Nikita Zadorov, and then... Varley. Well, Varley's a goaltender that is kind of stuck on there, but you've got... I, I really think that with that Boschman buyout, you can go seven and three. You can go Johnson, uh, Barry Zadorov. Only oh, no, you don't want to go seven and three. You want to go eight. I'm lost. I yeah, think... you want to go four and four. <laughs> I, I, if if Boschman waves, yeah. and he's the guy that you can expose as your defenseman, mm-hmm. then you can protect Barbarian. Yeah. And if Boschman doesn't wave, then you buy him out. And you protect yeah. Barbaria. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Exactly. I mean, you know, best case is Boschman waves, and then you know, several months, several weeks later, maybe even just before training camp, he retires. Like that too. Make him a coach, Steve Ottom. <laughs> Steve Ott him. <coughs> That's not the way I expected that phrase phrase to mean, but okay. <laughs> it's one of many variations. He's already been Steve Otted once. I mean, look at his contract. Right. It's a verb of many meanings. All right. All right. So expansion draft is coming. We'll find out um, the team's protected lists at a day. I don't know which one, but it will definitely be a day that ends in Y. Um, and then we'll find out what the uh, what the very first roster of the Vegas Golden Knights will look like on June 21st. They'll be putting their team together the three days before that, so you may see some names leak out. Um, they've already signed some hotshot out of the KHL, some young scoring forward out of the KHL. Um, is good in the world. Yeah. Say that name again. Shipachov. That one. Him. Ship off the old block. Smith. Yeah. Definitely Smith. And, hey, Smith. Uh, and we'll be, we'll be seeing that soon. And, um, please buy a Boschman. Thank you yep. for your time and good night. You will um, hear from us again on the Mile High Hockey Podcast somewhere between the expansion draft and the entry draft. One, like somewhere in that time span, we'll we'll break down what the Avalanche did, what the, who is headed Vegas's way. We'll take a, an early look at the Golden Knights since they will be. They'll, I guess, the conference rival is kind of meaningful given the playoffs, but otherwise not really. Um, but we'll look at the Golden Knights, we'll see where they're headed, and we'll take a look at the upcoming NHL entry draft. Fewer sirens and birds. And the Duchesne trade. <laughs> Get out of here, Earl. <laughs> no. Boo this man! Boo, Boo. Earl. What? That's right. going to be a big thing going into the draft. I don't know what we <laughs> we got. Yeah, we got a lot of questions today. Um, if you're still listening at this point, then... I don't know what to tell you, but uh, if you if you had questions today, um, so many of our questions are about expansion and about the draft. I hope we answered your expansion questions, but we'd already gone on super long. And if your questions are about the draft, hold them. We will ask for them again ahead of the draft show. We didn't want to get into the draft Word. or the Duchesne trade until then because we had enough. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you guys. I'm going to the bar. <laughs> it is Friday. Three day weekend. Everyone have a good Memorial Day, which I can only assume was declared in memoriam of the Avalanche tenure of Tim Army, Frank Lair, and Dave Farish. Thanks for listening. You can you can check the podcast on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash myhighhockeypodcast or on mixcloud at mixcloud.com slash myhighhockeypodcast. And it's always posted on myhighhockey.com. And it's on iTunes. And it's in your favorite RSS catcher. You get the latest attitudes and updates at milehighhockey.com. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash milehighhockey or on Twitter at milehighhockey. I'm Steph, they're Ryan and Earl, and we will see you somewhere between the draft and the draft. Go Eagles! Woo! extremely frustrating um pause button earl can you hush for just a second so we can record those birds shut up car <laughs> that's a harley shut up carly
Shut up, Diesel. There, come on, birds. I, I need to record you so I can cut you out. That's more like it. Okay. <laughs> this is like the escape into nature version of the podcast. I love it. I, I, I kind of, I'm not going to lie. I kind of dig you know, the bird noises. We're on the edge noises. of a temperate rainforest here. I, I kind of dig the bird noises for a summer show. Hey. I think it's kind of neat, but they're kind of piercing too at the same time. They are. <laughs> oh man, your birds are so much better sounding than ours. We've got like nothing but magpies and crows who <laughs> yeah. are not exactly beautiful sounding. And doves. Oh. <clears throat> No, but the, I mean, this is what it sounds like at 6 a.m., and it's it's cacophonous. <laughs> That's a nice word you got there. <laughs> so, as we emerge from a very sudden pause that was not announced or prepared for, I kind of forgot what we were talking about. <laughs>